Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintachi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We are, getting, we are wrapping up our sermon series today. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've talked about the practice of saying no. You got, have you guys gotten good at that yet? <laughs> that was a nervous laughter. Did you notice the nervous laughter? How about saying yes? Have you got good at saying yes or practice that? Or maybe saying no. There you go. How about enough? Have you had enough of this sermon series, right? Um, and then last week we talked about saying you're sorry. And today we're wrapping up talking about saying the word thanks. Five simple words. No, yes, enough, sorry, and thanks. Now, as we talk about thanks today, I was thinking about part of uh, mental attitude, and Philippians chapter four is talking about kind of our mental outlook, our mental attitude, and I thought about the proverbial question, right? The proverbial question that gets asked about whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, right? It's a proverbial glass of water uh, uh, question, you know, is this, is this glass, let me figure it out. I don't know if you can, can you see it all the way in the back row there? Can you see all this water? I'm checking the back row. You guys are still awake in the back row over there? Yeah, all right, you're waving, good. Chuck, thank you. So I don't know if you can see all the way in the back row or up in the balcony, but the question is, is the glass half full or half empty? And if you answer half full, you're an optimist, and if you have answer, answer ugh, tongue-tied, if you answer half empty, you're a pessimist, right? Or like me, you're a realist, and it's just half and half, right? It's half full and half empty, right? Well, I thought about there are some other ways to look at this, right? So a teacher might say the important thing is that there's something in the glass, right? Potential, right? That's what a teacher would say. Or a monk would say, stop seeing it as half empty or full and realize it is refillable, right? I like that one. Or how about a physicist who says it's half gas and half liquid? <laughs> or a mom who would say, who left the glass here? Or an accountant would say, this glass is twice as large as necessary. <laughs> or an opportunist who says, while you were arguing about the glass, I drank the water. 
But my favorite one has nothing to do with it. It says, if the glass is half empty, just pour it into a smaller glass and stop bumming the rest of us out. <laughs> so what do we do with that, right? And that t- that's talking about our outlook. So I thought about this question, and I thought about our passage today, which is really about, you know, keeping this uh, positive attitude, more optimistic attitude in our lives to be thankful in everything, in all situations. And I thought about that, and there's something that's key to this passage in something that Paul is saying in Philippians chapter four. In fact, all throughout his writings, if you read his letters, you'll see this repeated throughout his letters. But I want you to notice something that Paul states repetitively in this passage and repetitively throughout his letters is this concept, that he says that we're different than this glass of water. This is, we assume that we're standing alone, right? We assume that it's up to us to determine what we're going to do with what's in our glass, right? That's what a lot of us assume, that we, we stand by ourselves. But Paul says that's not, the, that's not where our joy comes from. That's not where our rejoicing comes from. That's not where our thanks comes from. He repeats something over and over again. So I'm going to illustrate this. What happens, rather than being a standalone glass, what happens if I submerse the glass and surround it by water. Is the glass half empty or half full? Or is there a whole new answer? Right? It's different. I change the environment of the glass. And because I change the environment of the glass, I, you actually answer the question quite differently, don't you? Did you notice that in the passage Paul says, stand firm in the Lord? He says, I want these two women in the church to, to have the same mind in the Lord. He says, I want you to rejoice, but he doesn't say just rejoice. He says, rejoice where? In the Lord. And he says, when you, you pray and when you are gentle with one another, he says, do it because why? Because the Lord is near. Do you notice that? Did you ever notice that before? That everything that Paul is talking about here is in the Lord. It is a different environment in which the Christian finds themselves. The Christian is not separate from the Lord, on, we're not on our own trying to be optimists or pessimists, we are in the Lord. Our environment is different. We are surrounded by God's grace. We are surrounded by the presence of the Lord and we acknowledge that and we see that and we know that and we need to be reminded of that, don't we? <laughs> because we forget. We, we travel, we sometimes take ourselves out and we become this again instead of staying in the Lord. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. that's a key to understanding this passage this morning. Because the very first thing that, that Paul says to stand firm in the Lord, he says to stand firm in the Lord is to, to let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Which this, what this means is that our attitude, our outlook, is to be one of gentleness. Which means literally, If we go back and look at the Greek a little bit more closely here, and I won't go into all that, but it means to relax your strict standards. To don't be the police of everything, right? You don't have to police everything in the world. You don't don't have to do that as a Christian. Your, Your job is not to go around with strict standards, policing everybody else in the world and judging everybody else in the world. That's not the Christian attitude. It's one of gentleness. In fact, I find that some, in some ways I feel like the, the Pharisees have moved out of the church and gone into the world recently. I don't know if you've noticed that. I used to only encounter them in the church, but I feel like I'm encountering them in the world now. 
last night I was coming out of the grocery store and uh, there was these wonderful Girl Scouts selling Girl Scout cookies outside the grocery store. And of course, to be honest with you, I was trying to avoid them because, you know, I didn't want to buy any more Girl Scout cookies that we had already bought. Can't you tell? But so I, I'm walking by and, and, I, and I'm going into the store and there's one lone Girl Scout. I didn't see any adults around. I don't know whether the adults just abandoned her or whatever. There's this one about 10-year-old Girl Scout all by herself at the table. Last chance for Girl Scout cookies. I'm walking in the store and there's a, 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 another person walking out of the store. And the Girl Scout says to her, would you like to buy some cookies? Very nice. 10-year-old, pleasant young lady. Wonderful little girl. And this person responds to her, you guys use palm oil in your cookies. I do not support the destruction of the rainforest. And she marched off. I told you the Pharisees are out there, people. They're not in here anymore. They're out there. And I thought to myself, I thought that poor, it almost made me want to buy cookies from the little girl because I felt so bad for her, right? Here was this pleasant, gentle spirit being harassed, police, the palm oil police were out that day, I guess, and was worried. So I, I, I thought, you know, I, I get it. I understand your, your need, your self-righteous need to, to police the world, right? Which we can also get caught. Let's be honest, we as Christians can do that too, right? And, and we get in this need, but Jesus, what Paul is saying is, no, that is not to be our attitude in the world. By the way, I checked out the Girl Scout website on palm oil, just so we could be clear. They do use palm oil in their cookies, but they're for sustainable farm. They get their palm oil from sustainable farmers, employing four million farmers around the world on sustainable plots of land developing palm oil. And palm oil is actually one of the least destructive oils to get other places you have to destroy, but they are actually looking at sustainable farming models that get their palm oil from. So they're actually conservationists around palm oil. And I thought, lady, go read the website, please. You know, come on, do something. So, but you know, there's things that get into the media and people grab onto it and then they think that's the whole picture and it's not. Context is so important. But I think about that is why, why do we feel this need to be snarky? Why, why do we feel this need to be the police of everything, right? Why do we have to have this culture of complaint? When Paul is saying to us as Christians, Christians, here's a way that we can be light to this world. We can just be gentle spirits, we can just have a spirit about us that is not snarky or complaining, but is just gentle. It's a spirit like Christ. I mean, if you think about what, what Paul says, is he says, be gent let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Think about this. What if the Lord were watching every response you made to other human beings? How would Jesus, being near you, beside, think, imagine that Jesus is walking with you every day, going with you everywhere you go, going to buy Girl Scout cookies, what is Jesus looking for in you? What kind of attitude? What kind of spirit? The one who, when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to him and laid her down to feet in shame and guilt and certainly guilty of adultery and prostitution, possibly. And Jesus looked at them and they said, what do you want us to do with her? The letter of the law says stone her. That was the letter of the law. That was the law said. What was Jesus' response? Do you remember? Silence. That was his first response. 
And then he said something, those of you without sin go and cast the first stone, right? And then all of a sudden they started to walk away. And then he says to the woman, go and sin no more, right? Gentle spirit I see in Jesus. He's saying to Pharisees, gentleness is not about the letter of the law. Gentleness is about applying the spirit of the law. And Jesus upheld the spirit of God's grace and mercy and as well as the law to sin no more while at the same time saying to the police, the religious police, have you not sinned? You know, we all stand in need of grace. So Paul writes and continues to write and he says, he goes on to say this, not only let your gentleness be evident to all, but he says, don't be anxious about anything. Let's underline that word, anything. Anxiety, worry, is something we all struggle with, at least I do. And what's happening when we're worrying or anxious is that we become distracted. We become, our, our minds and our hearts are divided. In fact, literally what we're doing is it's like, it's like the pieces are starting to come apart of a puzzle. If you had this puzzle and when your life is all together, everything's good, but when the pieces start to come out of the puzzle, when the pieces start to come apart, that's anxiety. We start to go to pieces, right? <laughs> Anxiety causes us to be going to pieces and it pulls us apart, it divides us, it distracts us from the world and from other things that may be more important to us. And so Paul says when you're like that, when you're anxious, when you start to worry about things, when you get into that position which may be tied to why we're policing and self-righteous because we're really maybe some insecurity within ourselves. But there is what's going on. He says, what are you supposed to do when you feel that way? Did you see it? In the, what, did, what did Paul say? What are we supposed to do when we have anxiety, when we have worry? What did the passage say? This is quiz time. Pray, right. And pray and petition with what? Thanksgiving, thanks. So we pray, we take our anxieties, we pray about them, and we say thanks. That we pray with thanksgiving, that that we're not to be worry, worry. We we don't worry, we be prayerful. We're prayerful with thanksgiving. So I thought about this, this idea of being prayerful with thanksgiving. I think there's some ways you, we could do that. First thing, you know, I think we can give thanks for the difficulty that may be creating the anxiety. I know that may be hard to do. But if you think about whatever difficulty you and I are facing, whatever problem we have, we can actually give God thanks for it. Now you're saying, Pastor, I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? I want my life to be just all put together. No pieces. I want it to be whole. I want it to be perfect. I want it to be content. You know, there was a, a young monk who came to the abbot. The abbot, if you don't know about monasteries, there's, there are monks and there are abbots. The abbot's like the, the head of the monastery, the, the master, the teacher. And a young monk came to the abbot and said to the, announced to the abbot and to all his brothers, my life is perfect. I have, my life is full, I am content, I have found peace, I have found it, I, my life is all together. I've got it all together now as a monk. And the abbot suggested that he go and pray about that. And what he said to the monk was, I want you to go pray that the Lord would stir up trouble in your life. And the young monk looked at him like, why would I do that? I've achieved wholeness, I've achieved contentment. And the older monk, the abbot, said, the problem is that you only, the only way your soul will ever be matured is through difficulty. 
that God uses sometimes difficulties and problems and circumstances of our lives to actually mature our souls. Think about that. See, what you and I are often concerned with what? Our physical life. What if God is more concerned about our spiritual life? What if God's agenda for our life has to do more with our soul and less with our bodies? What if what's really important to God is the thing that is eternal in you, not mortal? What if God is more concerned with the thing that will live on forever rather than the thing that will not live on forever? Maybe that's what God finds important. And that it could it be that God, whereas I don't believe that God causes bad things to happen to us, but God can use bad things in our lives to mature us and to help us spiritually, to mature us. There are spiritual battles that we encounter that might mature us. So we need to wrestle with those things. And so a life without problems is not necessarily the perfect life. So we might be able to give thanks to God even for the anxieties, the problems, to bring those anxieties before God and pray about them and say, God, I don't like this, but I'm thankful that you can work through this. I'm thankful that you're here with me in this. And I'm thankful, God, that you will walk with me through this darkness, through this problem, through this difficulty, that the Lord is near, that I am in the Lord with my problems, with my anxieties, with my difficulties. The other thing I think we can give thanks for in the midst of prayer and difficulty and anxiety is we can give thanks for grace. In fact, the word thanksgiving here in Greek is eucharist, which means give thanks for grace. If everything else is horrible in your life today, if everything else is going wrong in your life today, know this, God's grace is abundant and available to you and that will never change. God's grace and love and mercy for you and for me will never change. That's something to be thankful for. That even if the rest of my life is falling apart, I can be thankful for God's grace in my life in, in where? Who provides, Jesus, who provides grace? The Lord, Jesus Christ. I am in the Lord and I am surrounded by God's grace all the time. No matter what I go through in life, I can be thankful for at least that one thing if I can't be thankful for anything else. That's the perspective of a Christian. The other thing I, we can give thanks for is that God is bigger than our problems. That's biblical. We saw this biblical story played out this week in March Madness. Number 16 seed, University of Maryland, Baltimore campus. You think I could go through a sermon without mentioning that? My, I'm an alumni of the University of Maryland, not Baltimore campus, it's different, they would, not, they would not take me. Satellite campus. Beat number one seed, University of Virginia. You know, I had University of Virginia going all the way to the finals in my bracket. That is destroyed. But I'm thankful that we got to see one of the greatest upsets in sports history, if you saw that this way. I mean, they, they were untouchable. They, 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 they didn't have a slingshot and a stone like Dave and Goliath, but they had this three-point shot, this boom, boom, boom. There was nothing University of Virginia could do. It was God or Dick. No, I'm sorry, I can't go that far. <laughs> can't go that far. All right. But, you know, that's part of it. At some point, the, the players on the University of Maryland 
I, I just love saying that. University of Maryland basketball, Baltimore can had to just see at some point that University of Virginia was, was beatable, right? And I think our perspective as Christians is that every problem, every, everything that we encounter in life is beatable because we are in the Lord, because God is bigger than whatever we encounter. That our souls are much more valuable than whatever life is doing to us. And I think that comes from that story of David and Goliath. You know, when David faced Goliath, right, he went to Goliath, and, and everybody else was afraid. What, what, what was the rest of the Israelite army experiencing? Anxiety, fear. For 40 days, every day, Goliath was coming out and saying, who's going to stand up again? You know, who? You, and they were cowering in their foxholes because they were looking, they were comparing their problem to Goliath. Their, Goliath was their problem, and Goliath, that, was, that, big, that problem was so big in their minds and in their hearts that they couldn't face it. That's anxiety. But David comes along, little shepherd boy David, just delivered his pizza to his brothers. That's a, that's a very loosely translated version. <laughs> and he comes in and says, guys, what's going on? And he looks at Goliath and he says, how dare this guy come out and stand up against who? He doesn't say the army of Israel. He says, the Lord's army. The people of God. How, how dare he confront, he didn't see this as an as a issue with them for confronting Israel. He saw this as an offense to God. And he started comparing Goliath to God. <laughs> Not Goliath to Israelites. Not Goliath in comparison to David, because if he had done that, he'd be cowering too. But what he started to do was compare this problem, and he began to put this problem in perspective in that, all right, I'm going to compare Goliath to God. Who wins that battle? Who fights that battle better? You see, he doesn't look at this. What does he look at? He looks at this. He says, God is bigger than this problem. God is greater than this problem. And I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to give thanks to God that God is bigger than this problem. And that I trust that God, that's where faith comes in, that I have faith that God can handle this problem. So here I want you to try something this week. Take something that you are worried about, take something that you have anxiety about, or something that's just on your mind and on your heart, and I want you to make it into a prayer of thanksgiving. Turn whatever it is, and I want you, you might need to write it out, you might need to just turn it over to God, but I just want you to say, God, I am anxious, I am worried about fill in the blank. And I'm going to give you thanks that you're bigger than this problem. I'm going to give you thanks that no matter what happens in this situation, your grace is available. I'm going to give thanks that, God, you can even use this problem in my life to do something in my life. Will you do that this week? That's what Paul says. Take your, take your anxieties and pray about them with thanksgiving. Give thanks. And guess what, God, guess what happens as a result? Paul says what the result of this will be what? Peace. And he actually calls it a peace which surpasses all understanding. All understanding. What's that mean? That means that it's a peace that we cannot explain in our human words. And when, while anxiety is t pulling us apart and making us go to pieces, 
God is saying, I am going to give you peace, P-E-A-C-E. So instead of going to pieces, we experience peace. And he says that this kind of peace is like an army coming into a fortified city. So if you're, you, you were living in a city that didn't have an army and you were being threatened by other cities and other nations and you were a threat, there were threats of attack and all of a sudden a giant army marched into your city and took up residence in your city, how would you feel when that army showed up? Peace. <laughs> Security, Right? What Paul says is that when we pray this way, when we pray with thanksgiving, when we give our anxieties to God, when we give these things to God, that this peace is like an army coming into our hearts and minds and garrisoning itself in our hearts and our minds, and we will experience peace. That's the promise of that. So we experience peace rather than going to pieces. And then Paul says one more thing. He says, I want you to not just experience this peace, but finally, when you go out into the world, look for the good stuff. <laughs> don't, don't go around in the world. If you're, you have this, don't be that gentle spirit that goes to the world and looks for good in the world. Don't just go around policing everything in the world, <laughs> Tell, pointing out everything that is wrong with the world, but actually go into the world and begin to see the good. He says, the truth, the nobility, the right things, the pure things, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent and praiseworthy things. Look for those things in the world and be thankful. You know, my wife and I, on our 20th anniversary, went, went to Maui, which we're a lot closer to now, which we're excited about. Um, we were on Maui for our 20th anniversary, and one of the things you tourists do on Maui is they drive this, this road called the Hana Highway. And I remember my wife and I, that day, we, we had rented a convertible wind in our hair, and I still have hair, which is good, and we're riding through the Hana Highway. We spent the whole day just driving this route, but the whole day was spent not just driving. What we were doing as we drove was we were looking for waterfalls and looking for places on the side of the street. We had this great coconut shrimp on the side of the road one place. And then we got to another place where they had these great views of the ocean, another place where we saw a waterfall, and we got out and walked up a stream and went to the waterfall, and people were swimming underneath the waterfall. And then we got to the end of the Hana Highway, and we had something to eat there in the restaurant there at the end. So, But what we did all day as we drove the Hana Highway was we were not just going for a drive. We were looking for all the good things along the way. We were stopping and appreciating the good things all along the journey. And I think about how life is a journey and part of the Christian perspective is to be going through this life, driving through this life, this journey, and be looking at all the amazing things, the wonderful things we can give thanks for. And how that changes your perspective. You know, I wish every day were on a highway day, don't you? But that's the perspective that Paul is pointing us to. That Paul is saying this is what you want to do. So here's what I want you to try and do this week. So if you didn't like my first exercise, try this one. As you go through your week this week, look for somebody who never gets thanked. Fig figure out who it is that you come across all the time that, that is in your life that maybe you never thank, but is constantly there providing for you, doing something for you, doing something kind for you, and nobody ever sends them a thank you note. People like the people 
who collect your trash? What if you met them one morning with a thank you note and said, thanks for picking up my recycling, my compostables, my garbage, and anything else that I have to separate now? Thank you. What about the person who delivers your mail or a neighbor next door who did something kind for you recently? Just, just single somebody out who never gets thanked and thank them. Write them a note. There are people like that all around our church. Did you know that? I think of the, one of the most thankless jobs. There are a lot of them in the church besides being, pa- no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> our, our AV folks up here. When something goes wrong, we all know about it, don't we? And we all police it, don't we? The slide wasn't right. You know, this wasn't right. That's a thankless job. I'm thankful for those people. They're volunteering their time every week to be up here and to help support our worship every week. Amen. Yeah. We just need to be thankful for the people around us that go unthanked. And when we do that, we're actually giving thanks to God. So I am not only thankful for them, I'm thankful to God for them, for them showing up and doing what they do. It's a thankless job sometimes. And when everything goes right, that's like great, isn't it? But they never get noticed, right? (laughs) They only get noticed when something goes wrong. I'm just pointing that out. All right, just just, just, just keep, this is more, I'm saying it to me too, so don't worry. So think about it, giving thanks. Who is it that you need to give thanks to in your life? Who is it that God has put in your life that you could just simply sit down this afternoon, write a thank you note, and send it to him or hand it to him this week, today, or sometime this week? Give thanks. I bet you it'll impact your relationship to that person too. I think it'll actually improve your relationship not only to God, but it'll improve your relationship to that person. Try it out. Because Paul actually said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, give thanks in every situation, in every situation, because that is God's will for you. In, in where? In, in Christ Jesus. You, you want to know what God's will for your life is? <laughs> there it is. Give thanks in every situation. We're always trying to discern what God's will it is, and there it is, simple and plain as day. Give thanks in every situation, and it's all to be done in the Lord. You know, I needed an attitude adjustment this week. You know, I'm still adapting to life in Seattle. And I want one last Pastor Matt story. I was actually driving to see Gary Edwards. Uh, he's in Covenant Shores over on Mercer Island. And when you, when you go over to Mercer Island, you, you get off, you go on, I had to go on I-5, and then when you get on I-5, the exit to get off on 90 west to Mercer Island is all the way on the other side of the highway. So I have to cross several lanes to get over to the exit lane for I-90, right? You all with me? You all, you all been that route? And when I get onto I-5, there's like traffic going, all backed up there on, on those two, two lanes all the way that I've got to get into, Right? So I, I, I'm like going over to this, see someone who's end of life, and, and I'm now having to navigate Seattle traffic. 
So I'm looking, and I'm looking for that gap, you know. You know the gap where not everybody's born, but there's a little bit of a gap you can slide into to get over, right? So I see the gap, and I get over into the gap only to be met with what I understand is called the honk of shame. <laughs> no, it's not like a beep, I'm here, you know, pay attention. It's like a like 15 to 20 second lay on the horn, beep it a few more times. You, the honk, that's what's called the honk of shame. I think John Ortberg calls it in one of his books, the honk of shame. So I'm receiving the honk of shame, and so I thought, you know, that, that probably was kind of rude of me, but I'm trying to get over, I gotta go. So I, I, I wave. You know, kind of like the half sorry, half thank you way, like sorry, thanks. And I met with the one finger salute. So I'm really trying to be Christ-like here. I'm trying to be gentle, right? But, you know, sometimes it gets the best of me, and, and, I went, and then I did this. Really? Like, really? And then I just could, just, this person was really upset. Just, you know, I could see it in my rearview mirror. And then even as I got over another lane and they went by, they're like yelling at me and beeping their horn again. I'm like, man, what's going on? Chill out. But now, what's happened to my spirit? I'm all like wound up now, right? And now I'm going to be with somebody that doesn't need me all wound up. So I keep trying, and that's where I start praying. Remember, I don't know if you were here at Christmas, I talked about going to Costco and needing to pray, right? Sometimes you need to do that when you're in traffic. I need an attitude adjustment right now, God. Because I'm going to be with somebody who doesn't need me to be all stirred up about this. I need to go, and so I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with me. And so I arrived at, uh, to go see Gary, and Gary was there, his wife, Jewel, was there. Some of his, bro- his brother and his sister were there with their spouses. The chaplain was there. His daughter came. And we prayed together, and we, we recited Psalm 23 together. And then the chaplain, Greg, he, he invited us to sing a song together. So basically, we were having a worship service. And he was, we were singing that song that says, this is my story, this is my song, I can't sing on key, praising my Savior, oh, that was off. Well, you know the next line, what's the next line? All the day long, right. Praising my Savior all the day long. What is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that you are thankful all day long? You know what happened in that moment? I went from Seattle traffic like this. And when I came and I worshiped with that family, I became this. It changed me in a moment. And that's why we as Christians constantly have to be worshiping God, praying to God, talking to God, being with other Christians, fellowshipping with other Christians, because this world will drain it out of you. And if we're to stay in the Lord, we're going to need to be around people who can help us do that. And that's why it's so important to show up at worship, (laughs) to give thanks to God, not just on Sunday, but every day. Worship God every day. Give thanks all day long and give thanks to God for everything that you see good in your life and my life. Let's pray together.